So last week we heard a rather mundane sounding lie, and as temptations go, it was pretty modest, wasn't it? But this week, instead of the the quiet comfort of a simple piece of bread, what Satan offers to you today is the total control of the whole world, or so it seems. Let's turn again to Luke chapter 4, shall we? Same gospel reading every week. Verse 5, Luke 4, verse 5. And the devil took him, that's Jesus, up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. This, quite simply, is just a vision of all of the places in this world where there is a throne. All of the parliaments and kingdoms and powers and and dominions of the world. It's the the same word Luke uses in chapter 2 to describe the empire of Caesar. And then Satan lies about this. And he says in verse 6, to you, I will give all this authority, exousia in in Greek. It also means freedom, mastery, influence, jurisdiction, liberty, strength, privilege, command, power, and the unfettered discretion to control. That's what this word means. It's a very tempting thing, is it not, to be offered control like that? We love control don't we? We like to be in charge. You don't believe me? Just go any place where people typically feel out of control and observe how people behave. Uh, Take, for example, the airport. That's the place where you feel out of control. You've got to be here at this time. Stand here. Get scanned. Don't look at this bit. Go and sit down over there. You can sit anywhere you like except for the front bit where all the controls are. You're just a passenger in that place. Next time you're in the airport, Just have a look at other people. Look around the actual building. Browse the bookshop. See how many shelves in an airport bookshop are devoted to the concept of control. In Date with Destiny, the author of a popular airport book writes, believing that you control your own destiny means you can become unstoppable. In the bestseller Think and Grow Rich, a different author writes, you are the master of your destiny. You can influence, direct, and control your own life and make it whatever you want it to be. It's not just the self-help books either in the airport. Uh, Many companies use this this idea of control to sell you their products. Here's three airport favorites for you. Hertz Rental, their slogan. We put you in the driver's seat. Very clever. Microsoft, where do you want to go today? Burger King, have it your way. In fact, actually, they recently updated their slogan. I don't know if anyone caught this, but they've updated their slogan from have it your way to be your way. Rather interesting. That is an astonishingly literal translation of this word exousia, authority in Greek, as though somehow your power emanates from the essence of who you are. Manifest your power. Uh, This is an ontological vision of the manifestation of your power right here, this word. You're not merely in control. That's too lame. You are a controller. And all it's going to cost you to be your way is a cheeseburger. (laughs) I think as lies go, we all know that one is a whopper. Would you please pray for me? I'm going to get a divorce this afternoon. 
she's going to kill me. <laughs> um, so these, these phrases, these phrases, uh, and the, the worst thing is that my dad is watching this, and he's probably, that's a good one. Like, <laughs> all, all, these, all these phrases are about you. They all offer you control, all of these, these phrases. Uh, ultimately, the, the objective of all of these phrases, though, is not about you. It's about them. It's about what they can make out of you, what they can get from you. Satan is no different. Here is the deal that he offers in verse 6, the airport deal. Satan said to Jesus, to you, I will give all this authority, power, control, be your way, and their glory. We'll come back to that next week. For it has been delivered to me, and I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. Did you see in that verse, although he's offering all of this stuff to Jesus, he talks about himself a lot more than he talks about Jesus. He uses uh, pronouns about himself five times, just three for Jesus. It's a clue, really, that this lie from Satan is, is more about himself than it is about the one receiving it. And his problem is this. Satan's problem is simple. He does have some authority. He's got some. John 12 says he is the ruler of this world. First John 5 says all of the world lies in his power, but it's limited. Satan's problem is that his authority is limited. Our reading from Revelation that Lou just read says that in the end, actually, it is Christ who has authority over all things. So, simply, Satan feels threatened by Jesus. That's the issue. And so what he's trying to do, feeling threatened by Jesus, is he's trying to get control. He's trying to control Jesus. This is a really useful piece of information for us, because if we can understand what it is that's motivating Satan, then as sinners, we can understand what it is that motivates us as well, why we might feel the same. What is the appeal of control? Why do we like it so much? Why do we want to be in control? It makes us feel safe. It makes us feel secure. It gives us a sense of certainty. We know what's going to happen next, and we like that. And it's when we don't have that, when we don't know what's going to happen next, and we're not sure that we can necessarily have what happens next work out the way we want it to work out, that's when we get anxious. We experience anxiety when we feel out of control. What happens if this happens and this happens and this happens, and in the end I don't get my way? Anxiety and control go hand in hand. They go together. The more anxious we feel, the more we believe we need to get things under control, and the more controlling we become, the more things appear to us as anxiety-causing. It's a loop. Anxiety and control. So you've made it to the plane. You're on board now. You're in the air. The pilot comes on the speaker and says, Ladies and gentlemen, this is your captain speaking. We're about to hit some turbulence, but not to worry. We've seen it all before. Just return to your seats. Okay. No, no problem, right? I mean, one or two people, a bit worried, but no biggie. Now imagine he leaves the speaker on by mistake, and what you overhear is him talking to the co-pilot 
I don't know what we're going to do. I've never seen this before, have you? And there's just silence. And then you hear the co-pilot on his phone say, hey, Google, what is turbulence? Now how do you feel? Satan is anxious. He, he, he doesn't know how this is going to end. He thinks he knows how it's going to end, and that's worrying him because he doesn't like the sound of how it's going to end. And so with this deal, he tries to regain some feeling of control. And you can easily see why Satan might want that, can't you? But why might Jesus want it? Why might Jesus be tempted to take the deal, do you think? We saw two weeks ago that he was in the wilderness being tempted, that continual present, telling you that that's 40, these 40 days were characterized by temptation. He was tempted in every way like us. So this is not a scripted part of the act, uh, like some bit of the Kardashians where they rig it to make TV better, but with no realistic appeal behind the temptation. It's not just a play. This is real. Jesus really, really experiences temptation in this moment. He feels that, that the pull of this, some aspect of what Satan offers, actually genuinely appeals to Jesus. And that is because what is on offer is a kingdom without a cross. He's offered all of that authority without what it takes to bring God's kingdom to its completion. Satan offers a shortcut here in the wilderness to Jesus, a way of, of taking authority but avoiding the suffering that Jesus needs to face on the cross. Now, when we look at Jesus and we, and we say things about him, we need to be exceedingly careful with the words that we use. We don't want to, to really go beyond what we're told in Scripture. And ideally, we want to use the very words that the Bible uses itself. And you need to know the word anxiety is not a word that is ever used to describe the feelings of Jesus. In fact, several times, Jesus speaks against anxiety to us. He says, do not be anxious. You don't need to because I'm not. But uh, we are told that just before the cross, in the Garden of Gethsemane, he was in agony. Actually, if you zoom into the original language, it says an agony, which is rather interesting. And this is a word that means severe mental anguish. It's what the word means. It's telling us that Jesus isn't anxious in the sense of what's going to happen, but he's in anguish knowing what's going to happen. It is Jesus' understanding of what is about to take place that uh, causes him to apprehend the cost and the pain and the suffering of the cross. And he knows what he's there to do. He knows why he's been born. He's well aware of that. And so playing on that, Satan says to him, why don't we just do a deal now? Why don't we cut to the chase? Why don't we just get around this cross and do something now? Why don't we... Uh, enter into this agreement and we'll have a perfect body of rules and it can all be overseen by you and then uh, everyone will love you, you'll be a great ruler, all the kingdoms will be good, better than anyone else we've ever had before. That'll be great. What's the hitch in the plan, do you think? We are. That's the hitch. Quite simply, in this great scheme that Satan devises, 
if Jesus takes the deal, the problem is we'd still be here and we would find a way to mess it up. I guarantee what Satan is offering, they already have. The Bible calls it the law. They already have a perfect body of rules overseen by a perfect judge. And look where that got them. The problem isn't the ruler or the rules. The problem is us, the people who cannot keep them. Sin is the problem. Sin is chaotic. It's not fair. It's not predictable. Sin is out of control. Sometimes sin even is random. It's not karma. It's a mess. So let's turn to Matthew 20 now for a deeper look at some of this. As we turn to Matthew 20, we're going to look uh, again in more depth at anxiety, control, because they go together, how anxiety and control relate to sin, and why a kingdom without a cross will never work because it leaves the root of the problem unresolved. And the root of the problem is you. Matthew 20, verse 20. Most encouraging sound. Thank you for turning to it. Matthew 20, 20. Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came up to him with her sons, and kneeling before him, she asked him for something, and he said to her, what do you want? Not, what do you want? But, uh, what do you want? You know, it's a, it's a, a genuine invitation to treat. What can I do for you? She said to him, say that these two sons of mine are to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your kingdom. The mother of two disciples says to Jesus, when you rule in your kingdom from your throne, on your dais, in your court, or in your parliament, or whatever, let's not get bogged down in the details, but when the throne happens, can you say to my two sons, these disciples of yours, that they get to sit either side of you and, and, and share some of that control with you, some of that authority? Can, can they kind of be second in command? It's actually a, a vision of the kingdom that's not all that dissimilar to the one that Satan was offering. It's a very earthly view of what authority looks like. There's a throne, there's a dude in charge, there's someone second and third in command. Can that be my guys? To which Jesus responds, quite simply, we don't rule like that. That's not what we do. You know that the rulers of the Gentiles, the non-believers, lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority, power, exousia, control, same word, over them. Verse 26, it shall not be so among you. Here's the problem with a, a kingdom without a cross. It leaves sin unresolved. And if you leave sin unresolved, we're going to default to our usual ways of doing things. Uh, on a governmental scale, all the way down to the household tyrant. You are going to experience control. You are going to experience exousia. You're going to experience thrones and people telling you what to do to serve themselves. Every one of us knows what it feels like to have someone in your life who exercises control over you like that. Some of us have had manipulators for a boss, haven't we? Or bullies at school. Uh, some of us have had abusers for a spouse. Many of us know what it feels like to go looking for help from someone apparently in authority, only to find our concerns dismissed. 
We've had colleagues, peers, who collude with the abuse because they're afraid of being abused themselves. We have uh, friends who run away because they don't want a part of this. Uh, some of us have had people like this below us as well, uh, who somehow seem to get us to be able to do what they want, even though uh, they report to us. Uh, controlling people tend to be very, very good at working everybody within their ecosystem. They seem to be equally capable at controlling those above them and alongside and below as well. It's just a skill that they have. And if your path crosses with a controlling person like that, your life can become an absolute misery. Don't we know it to be true? To prove that this is a universal problem, this sort of over-controlling sinful authority, to prove it's a universal problem, to prove that no corner of creation is immune from it and that without the cross, no matter how good the body of rules would be, we'd still be stuck with this mode. Right here, right now, it even happens in church. Even in church, you find people who lead like this. When I was a trainee pastor, conflict blew up in our church between several of the leaders in the church. And uh, in trying to resolve it, I came to the conclusion that uh, one of the parties was overwhelmingly in the wrong. Like, this guy is 98% his fault. And uh, I'd been trying to mediate the dispute for several weeks, you know, getting people together, get a couple of people, get three, get everybody in a room, get my boss in, get all sorts of people around, saying to some, you know, can you just dial it down a little bit, please? Can you maybe compromise here? Could you just... Um, accept this? And could you maybe apologize to, to him? And uh, can you accept this part of, of what the other person wants? Really, in this process of mediation, as I saw it, conceding an awful lot of ground to this one individual in particular. Whenever he came into the room for one of these meetings, you just saw everybody tense. There was anxiety in the room the minute he walked in. And when he left, Everyone relaxed and you saw their bodies change. Awful lot of anxiety involved. And then one night I went to see just this man on his own in his own living room. And uh, when he realized in the conversation that he was not going to get me fully on his side, he was not going to get 100% of what he wanted in every way, he got angry. He got up out of his chair. We were sitting in a tiny living room in quite a dark room. He got up out of his chair. He was a huge guy. And he stood right over me and he started to shout at me in a chair. He loomed and he shouted and he said, your ministry stands or falls on my word. I have the power over you to make you a hero or a total blank villain. I uh, got up very quickly shaking, I went to the local store and I bought a bottle of scotch and then I took it back around to his house and I said, this is for you. I want to thank you for your leadership in our church, but you can't lead anymore. We did not need that kind of power in our church, I can tell you now. His outburst was really helpful to me. Because until he had the outburst, in fact, until he used that specific word, power, 
exousia, control, authority, till he used that word, be my way. I had not seen what was going on in any of this. I'd been unaware. Where, where did this power come from that he claimed to have over me, do you think? What kind of power was it? Why did this power make everyone in the room feel so anxious? I realized not only was this power demonic in origin, but that Satan had been playing me for weeks. I'd been sucked into Satan's game. I hadn't seen that in trying to smooth things over and, and mediate the dispute and protect the reputation of the church and, and bring everyone in and make the problems go away. But really what I was trying to do was control the situation. I hadn't realized that my biggest fear was my own reputation. What if I can't fix it? So in anxiety, I controlled. The whole thing had become all about me. I believed that my ministry stood or fell on that man's word long before Satan put that language in his mouth. The more anxious I became, the more controlling I became because it's what we do. Anxiety and control operate in a loop. They go together. The one potentiates the other. And so Jesus steps in and he says, I'm going to break this loop. I'm going to transform this power dynamic that you people have got going on. If there's even sin within the church, then we need a new way. We need, we need something new. Jesus says, I am the way. And Jesus' way is unique. He says in verse 28, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus takes this unique position of power, authority, control, and he gives it up. He lets it go. He uses it to serve. He gives his life to purchase yours. He buys you. He wants you his way. The source of all of our anxieties is the lie that you're in control. You've been lied to. That's why you're so anxious. Did some research this morning on the most godless cities in America, and I discovered that many of them also are the most anxious. We've been lied to. The source of the anxiety is the lie that you're in control. Relax, you're not. I'd like to conclude with something Peter says in 1 Peter 5, verse 6. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, 
who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen.